call and a cry for national repentance. What does it mean to follow the Torah of Yeshua? We have a bloody civil war going on here in America between those who are moving and operating in the spirit of Esau, who oppose and who hate God, and those who are moving and operating in the spirit of Jacob, those who love the God of Israel and his word, his Torah. This battle in the United States of America has been increasingly escalating in the last generation. It has gone from a cultural war to a political war to an ideological war, and now it has escalated to a bloody civil war, and people are dying. The ancient deity, Baal, is a key figure in this battle. He longs for blood. Hence, we have the children of our age being sacrificed at the altars of abortion clinics, with baby body parts being sold for profit. The first shot of the modern-day bloody civil war was fired on June 14, 2017, at some Republican senators who were playing baseball. Target? Conservative Republican senators. Five were injured, including Representative Steve Scalise. The second shot fired in this modern-day bloody civil war was fired at Charlottesville, Virginia, on August 12, 2017, when white supremacists and counter-protesters got out of hand. Target? Smear the reputation of conservatives? and associate them with white supremacists. Three were killed, dozens were injured. The third shot fired in this modern-day bloody civil war was fired on October the 1st, 2017, at a country music festival in Las Vegas. Not long after patriots began singing, God Bless America, the rain of bullets began. Target? Conservative patriots. Fifty-nine killed? more than 500 injured. The fourth round in this modern-day bloody civil war happened on October 31, 2017, with the truck ramming in New York City. Target? Anyone on the street, including kids on bikes. Eight were killed, 12 injured, with ISIS claiming responsibility. The fifth shot fired in this modern-day bloody civil war happened in early November, on the November 5, 2017, with the shooting rampage in Sutherland Springs, Texas, at the First Baptist Church. Target? Bible-believing Christians who gathered on a Sunday morning to worship God and read His Word. Twenty-six were killed, twenty wounded, victims ranging in age from 18 months old to 77 years old. The shooter was an atheist and had become hateful toward Christians and thus toward God. All of this is truly gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. We are in a war now on multiple levels. There is a spiritual war going on. It is the battle of the ages. And there is a literal war going on in the streets of America. People are dying. We all must choose sides. Where do we stand? Do we love the God of Israel or hate him? What do we need to do within the church, the believing remnant in this nation, to fight this war for the saving of lives? The Bible says in Ephesians 6 verse 12, 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in Second Corinthians 10, verse 4, it is written, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We need to put on the full armor of God, from Ephesians 6, verses 12 to 18, with special emphasis on intercessory prayer. We have become an apostate nation. We are no longer under the covering or protection from the God of Israel. A permission slip has been granted to the enemy to bring this upon us. There are broken places in the wall around this nation and around the church. The enemy seems to have free reign to wreak havoc and destruction. What is this permission slip that has been granted to the enemy? How do we cancel it and come back under the covering and protection of the God of Israel? The Bible tells us that we need to repent of our sins and the sins of our forefathers in Leviticus 26 verses 40 to 42. Nehemiah prayed this very prayer in Nehemiah 1. Daniel prayed the same prayer in Daniel 9. So, how do we repent of our sins and the sins of our forefathers today? We need to repent of the sins of Jeroboam. The modern body of Christ has committed and repeated the sins of Jeroboam. What are the sins of Jeroboam? How are we committing the sins of Jeroboam today? 500 years ago, Martin Luther led the Protestant split from the Roman Catholic Church. Right now, there is a push within a stream of Christianity to try to heal this breach and reunite under a Roman church. While this may seem like a noble cause based on Yeshua's prayer from John 17, the original church split in the body of Christ did not happen 500 years ago. It happened during the days of Constantine when the Roman church split off from the Jerusalem church of the first century. This was the greatest church split in the New Covenant Body of Christ. The present New Covenant Body of Christ church split between the Roman church and the Jerusalem church was foreshadowed by ancient Israel. Long before the Catholic-Protestant split in the days of Martin Luther and the split between the Roman church and the Jerusalem church in the days of the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., there was another kingdom split that took place in ancient Israel. It was between the northern kingdom, also known as the house of Israel or Ephraim, and the southern kingdom, also known as the house of Judah. We read of this in 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam, Solomon's son and successor as king, decided to raise the taxes on the people. Jeroboam led a rebellion and a kingdom split. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 16 and 19, it is written, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. 1 Kings 14, verse 30. 
So what exactly is the sin of Jeroboam? He reintroduced golden calf worship to the people. This harkens back to the sin of the golden calf at Mount Sinai. In 1 Kings 12, verse 28 and 29, it is written, Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and said to them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Jeroboam changed the location of worship and the time for when the biblical feasts and festivals were to be kept. In other words, it was mixture. This is the very definition of Babylon, mixture. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 32, it is written, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the golden calves he had made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. What type of worship did the Roman church introduce when it separated from the Jerusalem church of the first century? Religious mixture. Just like Jeroboam, the Roman church fathers changed the day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday. They cut us off from the Torah that Yeshua taught his disciples. In addition, they turned away from keeping the biblical feasts of Leviticus 23 and introduced Easter, Ishtar, or Ashtoreth, and Christmas, or Christ Mass. As a result, the center of the church world became Rome instead of Jerusalem. The sin of Jeroboam and golden calf worship was spiritual idolatry and adultery, and it was a turning away from the covenant marriage that Yahweh offered to the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai. It was an out-and-out rejection of this marriage covenant and the Torah which embodied that marriage covenant. It takes on the form of compromise, spiritual harlotry, and mixture. You follow the God of Israel and the other gods of the nations. What were the consequences of the sin of Jeroboam? Eventually, the northern kingdom of Israel was evicted out of the land of Israel through a military invasion. The Assyrians came in to militarily invade the northern kingdom, and the northern kingdom was taken into captivity and exiled from the land. In 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, it is written, For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. A key sign that the nation is in the height of of apostasy is when they are offering up their children as sacrifices to the God of Baal. How does that look today? 3,000 babies are aborted every day in America. Baby body parts are marketed and sold. Aborted fetal cell tissue is extracted and then used in science labs 
to flavored drinks and infused into vaccines. Here is a snapshot of the sin of Jeroboam, what it looks like, and then the judgment that fell upon Israel from the Lord. From first Second Kings chapter 17, verses 12 through 17 and 21 to 24. For they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn away from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the Torah which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practiced witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers, until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sephvim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. Second Kings 17 In the final stages of the descent of a nation into apostasy, a nation that has defiantly turned its back on God, a nation once called by God to be his covenant people and to walk in his ways, in his commands, in his Torah, that nation, if it does not repent and return to God, that nation gets militarily attacked, taken away into captivity, and the homes and cities are then occupied by the foreign invaders. This is what is prophesied to happen to the daughter of Babylon in the end of days, as it is written in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. Everyone who is found will be thrust through, and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered, and their wives ravished.
We see this in the case of the northern kingdom of Israel, and, tragically, we are seeing this being replayed out today with the United States of America. How is the sin of Jeroboam affecting us today? Let us examine the Jehu connection. In his recent book, Paradigm, Jonathan Kahn has masterfully painted the picture of a paradigm connecting the ancient king of the northern kingdom, Jehu, who is a type, to President Donald Trump. Jehu and Trump have been anointed and appointed to start cleansing the land of Baal worship and to rid the land of the prophets of Baal. One of Donald Trump's first acts when he entered the White House as president was to oppose the sin of Baal, and he signed new executive orders to protect the unborn. Second Kings chapter 10, verses 27 to 30 states, And they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal and burned them. And they broke down the image of Baal and broke down the house of Baal and made it a refuse dump unto this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because you have done well in executing that which is right in my eyes, and have done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But here is the indictment. Here is the warning. Here is the permission slip granted to the enemy that ultimately causes the northern kingdom to be militarily attacked and they are forcibly evicted out of their homeland to go into exile. Second Kings chapter 10 verse 31 But Jehu took no heed to walk in the Torah of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. Similarly, if you follow Jonathan Kahn's paradigm to its ultimate conclusion, if the apostasy in the church of turning away from the Torah the whole word of God is not stopped, then the same fate will befall the U.S. as what befell the northern kingdom of Israel. A military attack and invasion will follow with devastating consequences. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 16 And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. Second Kings chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam which he did. They departed not from them. Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. A widely popular song in church today is the song, These Are the Days of Elijah. If America is indeed living in the days of Ahab, Jezebel, and Jehu, as explained in Jonathan Kahn's book, paradigm, then we are also living in the days of Elijah now. 
What was Elijah's primary ministry and task in the end of days? Malachi chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 states, Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. From these verses, we can see that Elijah's ministry is calling the people of the God of Israel to return to the Torah, or else face the curse that is coming upon the earth. Elijah challenged the ancient nation of Israel to follow the Torah of the God of Israel and stop worshipping Baal. Baal worship was the mixture of pagan worship while professing faith in the God of Israel. Even as Elijah challenged the ancient nation of Israel to choose between mixed worship or following the Torah of the God of Israel, this is the choice that the body of Messiah needs to make today. So, the days of Elijah are a call to the church to repent of sin that will be expressed in returning to the Torah of Yeshua. But what does that really mean? What does that look like? Let's begin with defining sin. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it is written, Sin is the transgression of the Torah. So, if we are going to repent of our sin, then we will return to the keeping and following of the Torah of Yeshua. No more mixture in the church. No more changing the days and the locations for our worship and feasts. We should not focus on returning to the Roman church, but on returning to the Jerusalem church of the first century and the Torah that Yeshua taught his disciples. The modern New Covenant Roman Church confesses Jesus as Messiah, but has rejected his Torah. We are to walk down the straight and narrow path that Yeshua calls us to walk on. That is, we have the testimony of Yeshua in our hearts. We are saved by grace through faith, our born-again experience. And we follow his Torah by the Holy Spirit. May the Torah truly be written upon our hearts, as spoken of in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 33, where it is written, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my Torah in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Returning to the Torah of Yeshua will mean repentance for following after idols of the heart. What does golden calf worship look like today? What are the idols of the heart in our nation today? Greed, selfishness, materialism, 
making God in our own image out of vain imaginations instead of based on the plumb line of truth from the word of God, making idols out of our families, our homes, our jobs and careers, even our ministries. It means a return to following the Torah of Yeshua by the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by Torah? It is the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That means we keep and follow all the commands in the Bible, not just the New Testament. Yeshua kept the Sabbath and the biblical festivals. So should we. So this is a call to the New Covenant Roman Church to return to the Torah of Yeshua. What else is missing in the body of Christ today? The Pharisees of Yeshua's time were outwardly religious, yet he had harsh words for them. Why? Have we been behaving like the Pharisees of old? Would Yeshua have harsh words for us today? What are we missing in our churches and in our denominations? We are missing the love factor. On top of the 613 commands given in the Old Testament, or Tanakh, Yeshua gave us only one new command. We have failed to keep this command. What is that one new command? John 13:34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 15:12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John fifteen seventeen, These things I command you, that you love one another. Romans thirteen eight. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the Torah. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. 1 John 3.23 And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Yeshua HaMashiach and love one another as he gave us commandment. 1 John 4.12 No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. 2 John 1.5 And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that we that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Yeshua even elevates this command to a higher level and commands us not only to love the brethren in the faith, but to love our enemies. In Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, it is written, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. 
do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. There was something in the heart of Yeshua that was the primary motivator for why he healed the sick, fed the hungry, cleansed the lepers, delivered the demonized, and set free the oppressed. He was moved with compassion. Matthew 9:36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Matthew 14:14. 14, 14. And when Yeshua went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. Mark 1:41. Then Yeshua moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Mark 6.34 And Yeshua, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Beloved, this is the sin we need to repent of, our lack of love and compassion for one another. Without the love, we are no different than the Pharisees of Yeshua's day. When we take this to heart, when we truly repent down this unloving spirit and the spirit of offense, when we truly touch the heart of the Father and tap into His love, I believe this will be the fuel and the fire for the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit as spoken of in Joel 2. Our nation and the church in America is truly at a crossroads. Lives hang in the balance. The fate of the nation hangs in the balance. Will we get off the road of apostasy and descent into godlessness? Will we return to the straight and narrow path with Yeshua abiding in our heart and following His Torah? Will a remnant return to his Torah? At the very heart of the Torah, we find Yeshua's heart, which is love. As we study the Torah and unwrap it, one could compare Torah to a person. We look at the outer form of a person, their eye color, skin color, hair color, height, build, and bone structure. That is what we see on the surface. But that is not the essence of the person. That could be likened to the Peshat level of Torah study, the surface meaning of the text. Most people stay on this surface level of study and never go any deeper. Then we go a little deeper. We get to know the person, their personality, their likes and dislikes, their history, their dreams for the future. That could be likened to the Drash and Ramez level of Torah study, going deeper, looking at interconnections between scriptures, the scriptures that are hinting of something deeper. Finally, if we really know a person deeply and intimately, we connect with their heart. A person's heart is down deep. It is hidden. It takes time to know a person deeply in their heart. So it is with Torah. 
To study it and know it at the sowed level is to connect with the very heart of Yeshua, and that heart is love. May we, as his people, reconnect and return to the Torah, and may we study, learn to walk in it at the deepest level as we engage and connect with the very heart of Yeshua and his love. We need to make a call for national repentance to repent of our sins and the sins of our forefathers. Primarily, we need to repent of the sin of Jeroboam. If this is not done, the next step in the decline of our nation will be a military attack and invasion upon our land. I call upon national prayer networks to come together to meet, on the phone or in person, for a national day of repentance with a special focus on repenting of the sin of Jeroboam and a return to the Torah of Yeshua. Mm